Welcome to our second quarter Market Outlook webcast. I'm Todd Eckler, Chief Marketing Officer at Fiduciary Trust. I hope that you and your family are staying safe and healthy. After a surprisingly strong 2020 in the markets in the wake of the pandemic, most equity asset classes have continued gains in 2021. The economy has also been regaining footing, benefiting in part by aggressive fiscal stimulus and monetary policies. In today's discussion, We'll help you stay one step ahead by sharing our latest perspectives on the likely trajectory of economic recovery, the potential impact of proposed changes in federal tax policies on the markets, how to navigate fixed income investing in this low rate environment, and our investment outlook by asset class. I'm joined today by Austin Shepard, President and CEO of Fiduciary Trust, and Hans Olsen, our Chief Investment Officer, who will share our perspective on these topics. Over to you, Austin, to begin today's discussion. Thank you, Todd, and welcome to our second quarter investment discussion with our Chief Investment Officer, Hans Olsen. We've had a busy uh, first three months, and more likely than not, the next nine will be equally active, so we'll jump right into it. Hans, are you there? I am indeed, Austin. Good to see you. Good to see you. Before we start talking about what we foresee in the future, could you give us a brief recap of the past three months and where we stand in the markets? Lots happened, Austin. The, there, there are two narratives hitting markets now. One is the continuation of, of the recovery narrative, which has helped push stocks broadly higher. But there's also an emerging narrative around fears of inflation. And that, uh, in the first quarter, hurt uh, uh, fixed income prices, especially sovereign debt and investment grade bonds, which turned in notable quarters for being down, uh, whereas equity prices, by and large, and commodities as well, uh, enjoyed a, a quarter of positive returns. Hans, one material factor uh, that we've lived through in the pandemic was around employment. Uh, and the impact on uh, unemployed uh, individuals across the economy last year and, and the rebound. Where does that stand right now and how are you viewing that? Well, to put it into context, uh, during the, uh, you know, the clutches of the pandemic, uh, when the economy broadly was shut down, uh, we lost about 20-something million jobs in the low 20s. Um, we're at a point, there's been a fairly sharp recovery. We're at a point now where we're probably down somewhere on the order of 8 to 9 million jobs. The interesting thing, Austin, though, is when you look at where the jobs were lost, they were primarily um, focused. The biggest losses by far were focused uh, inside the service sector, which is where, uh, you know, the economy, most of the economy emanates from. You know, 70 percent of the economy is consumption. Almost an equal portion of that uh, comes from the service sector. Uh, so, so, you know, we have a lot still yet to recover within the service sector. Interestingly enough, uh, the other two sectors, um, manufacturing and government, are, are making very good comebacks indeed. As you mentioned how, how big a piece of the economy the service sector is, how did that manifest itself in our uh, GDP, our economic impact uh, over the course of uh, obviously last year, but then through the recovery or some portion of that recovery over the first quarter? 
Yeah, no, the, the, the GDP last year in the United States fell something on the order of about three and a half percent when they when all was said and done. And um, this year, we're starting to see um, really the makings of a pretty remarkable recovery. Overall, uh, growth in the U.S. is expected to be somewhere on the order of between six and seven percent. Um, and those numbers were even recently upgraded. Globally, growth should be on the order of about uh, uh 5% emerging markets grow somewhere on the order of about 6%. Furthermore, expected, it's expected that we'll see that growth continue, um, although it'll be at lower levels. It'll still be pretty high relative to historic comparisons well into uh, 2022 as well. So Hans, would you consider this a V-shaped recovery, a W-shaped recovery? Some people have talked about a K-shaped recovery. Um, again, I'm thinking back to some prior conversations that we had about how to think about it. It seems like it's been pretty V-like. Um, is that correct? Indeed, it, it has. It's, it has definitely had the feature, um, if you look at both economic activity, you know, GDP, and employment, it's had very, very much a V-like uh, uh, feature to it. As we talked about last time, we thought we were talking about what the shape of the recovery would be, but the economy that we've been operating in for some time, without a doubt, has these K-like tendencies where those at the upper end continue to do very well, whereas those at the lower end continue to struggle. So that feature, I think, uh, will likely continue. And Hans, a key driver of this has been obviously the monetary, the governmental reaction uh, to the pandemic um, with printing of money, uh, money supply and so forth. How, and that I think leads into the discussion that you alluded to earlier around inflation. Uh, what are your thoughts on inflation right now? Yeah, so these inflation, that's a, that's a good point, Austin. These inflation concerns, I think, are well-placed. Um, let's start by that. They're well-placed, and we can get into why we think that. They're probably premature, though. Uh, they're premature because we're still you know, in the earlier stages of recovery. There are probably knock-on effects from the last 13 or 14 months that we've yet to appreciate in the way that the labor market and the way that we conduct our commercial lives are reordered. Um, you know. You can work from home. Uh, you don't need to travel as much anymore and the like. And that's all service related. Uh, but I think that with the inflation concerns are, are several fold and you can see them quite clearly in the numbers. First, uh, in, the, in the massive increase in the money supply. And regardless of how you measure the money supply, whether it's more narrowly through M1 or more broadly through M2, the the liftoff that we've seen. Hans, I'm going to pause you. What what is M1 and what is M2? It sounds so like M1, a certain type of of, uh, of missile. That's, that's right. They, if you look at a graph of those, they look like a missile for sure. But M1 would be sort of the um, money that we have in our wallets, our pockets, uh, maybe in our checking accounts. Um, M2 would be uh, mutual um, our money market funds and the like. So it's it's these ever expanding sort of uh, examinations of how we hold money and how uh, the economy holds money. Regardless of how you look at that, Austin, um, the growth in the money supply over the last year is like unlike anything that we have ever seen uh, in modern financial history. And I think it probably even 
prior to you know pre-modern financial history, this is really uh, without without parallel. And then if we look at it from another angle, sort of the su- size of the the Federal Reserve's balance sheet, which is or the size of the deficits that we're running, you'd have to go back. Uh, more roughly 80 years to see deficits this large. They're often calling them wartime footing right now, right? We're fighting the pandemic. It's a war against a virus. Well, it actually looks very much from a fiscal perspective like the war we fought uh, against the, the Axis powers back in the early 1940s. So it's when you when you tally this all up between all the Money that Congress has 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 spent in service of supporting the economy, and the money that the Federal Reserve has created in the service of supporting the economy, it all amounts to roughly forty five percent of GDP, and counting because it's not over yet. So this is where you know if inflation is too much money chasing too few goods and services, we certainly have. Uh, the component of the first half of that equation in place and continuing. What we don't know yet is is how fast that money chases will chase things. Hans, I know in aggregate the data about how much uh, savings Americans has have increased, um, but can you talk to where is all this money going? Uh, so uh, I think what you're describing is an enormous amount of money has been put into the system. Some of that obviously is finding it into people's checking accounts and so forth. But where is it going and what are sort of the, the ripple on effects of that? Yeah. So it's going to a number of places. And, and as you as you allude to, it is going to the saving accounts. Um, people are their savings rate here in the United States has doubled uh, over the last year, uh, which is remarkable. The other thing that's done is it's found its way into the stock market in all sorts of interesting ways. Uh, you know, there are three things, three very powerful forces uh, at work right now. You have social media, online trading, which is free, uh, and um, um, stimulus checks. And that money has has uh, found a place. People have time, inclination, and a path to it. And it has hit all sorts of sectors of the market, most notably um, stocks like GameStop, a company that is you know, unremarkable in many respects. One has to wonder about the long-term prospects of a video game store uh, when everyone consumes it online. And we had a stock that essentially went from you know, $10 to almost $500 intraday on no discernible change in their fundamentals, other than the fact that uh, Main Street uh, wanted to show Wall Street what for uh, and and squeeze some of the the hedge fund shorts. We're also seeing this play out in the crypto world uh, with with Bitcoin having a run the way it has and people paying ridiculously large premiums uh, uh, for uh, these these commingled vehicles with um, um, you know, Ethereum and the like, paying premiums that are, you know, hundreds of percent premiums to the underlying assets. And then finally, of course, um, you know, we, we're seeing a lot in these uh, special purpose acquisition companies or SPACs, uh, and they're the, the latest fad as well. So uh, there's a lot going on, uh, and, and money is finding its way into the markets uh, with a, perhaps in, in many cases, in some cases for sure, and in, in, in certain cases um, uh, without an appreciation for the underlying fundamentals. 
Hans, you've talked a lot about in the past about the price of money. Um, and so we're talking about the quantity of money, but also the price of money. Can you talk a little bit about that today as it relates to uh, the fixed income uh, universe and how you think about the price of money today versus the price of money in the future? And, and all, again, how that interplays into the, the comments you just made. Yeah, that's an interesting point, uh, Austin, because it's, it's the price of money is, is, is the interest rate. And when uh, interest rates get very low, and indeed when they go negative, and in some countries, uh, the interest rate is in fact negative from a nominal perspective. If you opened your account, you would see that the interest rate you were being charged was negative. So you'd actually get money for, for, for the privilege of lending it rather than taking it rather than paying it. Here in the United States, we're not quite there yet, but in real terms, we are. Um, uh, we have negative real rates. And when you, when you get into that world, it starts to change the very nature of money and time, especially when you think about discounting uncertainty. So, you know, most of us, as we were, we were coming up and studying finance and economics, there, there was an article of faith, uh, uh, that, um, a dollar today is worth more than a dollar tomorrow. And that's a function of a positive interest rate. But when you get into a negative interest rate environment or negative real rate environment, the dollar or the, the, the thought of a dollar tomorrow becomes more valuable than that dollar today, which is a, uh, a fundamental flipping of the relationship between time and money, which means that uh, which gives some understanding now to why some of these hyper growth stocks, uh, stocks that have perhaps some revenue. Um, maybe not a lot, and the promise of earning sometime in the future have enjoyed such a strong run. It's this this fundamental inverting of this relationship between money and time. And Hans, do you see a change uh, in this price of money uh, anytime soon? Uh, and and how are you navigating that? Well, it's you know the. the in a world where you don't have central bank policy as aggressive as it is, or the Fed has put its thumb on the scale, if you will, um, because it, it can create money and, and go buy things with it, and which is it's doing every month, Austin, to the tune of about $128 billion every month uh, is getting printed. And then um, the Fed goes out into the market and is buying um, treasury notes, bills, uh, and agency debt to keep interest rates low. Absent that, and, and given the reality that we're going to have to finance trillions upon trillions of dollars of additional spending, um, it does beg the question as who's going to buy the debt absent the Federal Reserve uh, and at what price? Normally, one would expect interest rates to rise. And indeed, we've already seen that happen with the 10-year Treasury. Uh, and whether that continues or not will remain open question. We think it will. It, it, the, the tendency for interest rates to go higher uh, certainly is there. The question is, how much uh, will the Fed put its thumb on the scale and tip it back into the government's favor? That said, uh, eventually, um, you know, it would not surprise us to see, uh, you know, a 10-year Treasury, uh, which is about 1.6, 1.7 right now, go to two, maybe two and a quarter. And certainly a 30-year Treasury uh, go something uh, to the tune of about 3% or more. Um, that would be a fairly normal state uh, for us to be in. 
How does, uh, given the interplay between the monetary policy, uh, the, the economy as we've been going, how does that uh, inform your perspectives relating to investing in equities, both here and abroad? Yeah, well, without a doubt, there is, you know, when you look at the money that is hitting the markets, it, it kind of reminds me of those YouTube videos of these ships at sea, you know, in the North Atlantic with these hundred foot waves crashing over the bow, one right after the other. And, and that's kind of what the liquidity picture looks like right now. And there's just going to be these serial waves of, of liquidity hitting these markets over the next three or four years, maybe five years. And so, um, as that hits markets and it helps to support economic activity, that should be beneficial to the equity market. There's a cost to all of this, and that should end up sort of manifesting itself in the bond markets as well. But I think certainly a shorter term for the balance of this year, uh, there isn't any reason why markets couldn't uh, uh, grind higher from these levels. My guess is, though, as the as the particulars of uh, the legislation starts to get hammered out and as investors start to realize that taxes are going to be rising, in some cases they're going to be rising potentially materially, that's going to cause uh, a pause on the part of investors as they start to sort of incorporate what a new normal looks like with higher taxes, uh, which just cause volatility in the back half of the year. So that certainly would be our case, our base case, is that we'll see higher markets through the end of the year, but they'll start to churn more and more as we get uh, clearer data on what taxes and, um, uh, uh, and the impact of it will have on earnings will be. Hans, you hit on a, an important topic here, um, taxes and potential tax changes uh, that are coming down the road. How sh you mentioned that that may be a driver of volatility in the second half of this year. Are there are there strategies or thoughts that you think investors should uh, take action today as it relates to uh, potential? And again, there's a lot of uncertainty, but how you think about uh, as an investor, the potential changes in taxes. Yeah, I, and I think you're right, Austin. There is a lot of uncertainty. Uh, on what the taxes will look like, but there is metaphysical certainty, if you will, on the fact that taxes are going to go up. Um, uh, you know, it's part of the new administration's um, multi-pronged policy um, to to deal with uh, income and inequality. Uh, uh, part of this K-shaped uh, economy that we've had, as well as to pay for um, all of these different programs that are going to be put into flight. And so I think what's, because we know, without a doubt, the taxes are going to go up, and we know that these these taxes could, could go anywhere from, they're currently around 21%, they could go to, and blended rate is actually 17%, the effective rate on the S&P 500. They'll probably go to 25, perhaps 28. There's been some talk they could even, they could even go as high as uh, 39%. Unlikely, but it's certainly part of the conversation. What an investor could do right now uh, with certainty is to lower the hurdle rate of, of liberating capital 
that is held captive to low basis stocks. So if you own a company, you know, at, and you've inherited it, uh, very low basis stock, uh, or you have um, uh, you bought it a long time ago, now is probably the best time over the next five or six years for one to um, uh, take those gains, to accelerate those gains, because the amount that you'll have to earn back to get back to where you started uh, and, and to be able to use that money uh, will be more favorable now than perhaps at the end of this year. And, and that uh, is probably the best thing uh, uh, that uh, an investor could do in light of higher taxes is to accelerate those gains. And indeed, in some cases, accelerate several years worth of gains into this year. Hans, taking all this together uh, in the, uh, the recovery that we're experiencing still where the pandemic is, uh, is, is here uh, and will be for uh, some time, um, but uh, the monetary policy, the changes in taxes, how do you put it all together across multiple asset classes uh, and think about uh, the best interplay uh, to pursue? Yeah, I think um, sort of it, the, the way that we're thinking about it, Austin, several fold. One, to your good point, uh, the recovery is, is, while it's been V-shaped, it'll, it'll probably elongate here at some point as, you know, that next, you know, uh, of the 8 million jobs we've still yet to recover, perhaps the last 3 or 4 million will be the hardest fought to get back, right? The easy pickings have happened. Europe is still probably six months or so behind us. I think one could agree that they've had a fairly challenged rollout of a vaccine. It's been stopped started and, and whatnot. Um, and so when we, when we think about this, that means that the United States probably still is the best place to be uh, invested. So we would look to have um, a predominance of our equity exposure in the U.S., both in big companies and smaller companies. We've started to increasingly look at the average company. Rather than hold just the big um, um, super cap, mega cap companies, we've ex uh, expanded our exposure into more of the, the mid cap company or the uh, uh, the smaller large cap, if you will. And that, that has held us in very good stead as the economy broadens out. We've tried to, uh, in, in the uh, thinking down the road, uh, you know, looking down the road uh, at 24 to 48 months, we'll start to see international markets pick up. They'll get more attractive. Probably emerging markets here as well. We'll likely see over the next 24 months uh, a renewed weakness in the dollar, which makes, makes those international markets look more attractive. And then here at home in the fixed income complex, um, yeah, as we talked about earlier, this tendency, because of all this money that's being printed about, because of these concerns around inflation, uh, having long-dated uh, uh, fixed-income securities, not a great idea in this environment. This is a time to have shorter fixed-income durations. If you can get a little bit of uh, interest from um, things like mortgages or um, structured credit and the like, maybe maybe even certain areas within uh, the high-yield market, that's probably the best place for investors at this point, reducing the interest rate risk, taking the credit risk in a recovering economy. Uh, and the like. And then, of course, in this environment, while you know, cash is always nice to have uh, with the negative real rates and the likelihood that they're going to be anchored as such for, for the foreseeable future, you know, holding just enough to, to, to meet your contingency and, and no more is probably the right thing to do as well there. 
Hans, we're going to wrap up with one final question, which is, um, is there something out on your radar screen that uh, you're monitoring as a potential surprise or something that um, maybe not everybody's looking at or evaluating that could influence the course of our trajectory uh, between now and the end of the year? Well, we've been, that's a good question. There's probably two things that, um, that I keep, sort of keep nagging at me because one is, is this notion coming back to inflation, um, is that we printed all this money, but is it moving? Is the velocity, right? The rate at which it moves through an economy, is it picking up, um, we're going to be watching that because if money velocity starts to pick up, if it moves through an economy faster, that's money chasing things. And that could be the precursor to a, a, a rise in inflation. So we'll be looking at that. The other thing, Austin, will be um, on the geopolitical front, which could be disruptive. Uh, and it's these, you know, within any new administration, there's a testing of old adversaries, both strategic adversaries. Uh, and and of different flavors, whether it be economic or or, geo, or ideological, and and we have that in flight right now, uh, both in China and in Russia. Russia, in the case of massing troops on the border with the Ukraine, and increasingly we're seeing rather aggressive actions taken by China uh, with respect to to Taiwan. And so these are two areas that could really cause a great deal of, of ructions across the, uh, the economic landscape as it tipple, topples over from the, uh, the geopolitical. And that's the other thing that we'll be, be looking at. It's not being covered a lot right now, but these are things that are, that are in flight and that are material that we keep an eye on. Thank you, Hans. I appreciate your comments. And um, as always, we look forward to Uh, touching base in another uh, three months and to see how this path uh, progresses. Um, And we appreciate uh, everyone uh, joining us today and hope that you all continue to be um, safe and well. Um, And uh, we appreciate and we'll look forward to seeing you uh, at our third quarter investment call. I'd also like to express appreciation to our audience for joining today. We hope that you found the discussion useful. This is a challenging time, and at Fiduciary Trust, we have extensive wealth planning, investment, trust, tax, and other expertise to help our clients navigate through it. I encourage you to access some of our knowledge through insights on our website at fidtrustco.com, as well as through reaching out to a fiduciary officer if we can be of assistance. If you don't have a fiduciary trust officer, please contact Rick Tyson, who's one of our officers who can help you. He can be reached at 617-292-6799 or Tyson at fiduciary-trust.com. Thanks again for joining, and we wish you and your family health and well-being. The opinions expressed in this material are as of the date issued and subject to change at any time. The materials discuss general market conditions and trends and should not be construed as investment advice. Any reference to specific securities are for illustrative purposes only and are not intended to be, and should not be interpreted as, recommendations to purchase or sell such securities. Nothing contained herein is intended to constitute investment, legal, tax, or accounting advice, and viewers should discuss any proposed arrangement or transaction with their investment, legal, or tax advisors.
Copyright 2021 Fiduciary Trust Company.